Our scripture reading this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be reading the first five verses. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as extraction. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated after a two-week hiatus where you were served so wonderfully by your dear fellow brother and servant in the Lord, Ryan, over the last two Sundays. We return to our series in 2 Corinthians, taking on a brand new chapter, in this case, chapter 9. Before we do, though, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God written, preached, and the incarnate Word to which it brings us, our only hope. Fill us with the zeal of the Lord of hosts to give you the glory in Christ Jesus and grow in grace and knowledge of him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the word ready or its cognates, which is this fancy term for related words, is found an impressive five times in the five verses of today's scripture lesson. But being ready for ministry is not nearly as easy as we might think it is. Our sinful flesh and the world around us conspires against us to make it impossible for us and ourselves to do it. We couldn't anyway. It's only the grace of God alone that causes us to ever execute any ministry, including the worship of God as the church on the Lord's Day. And so it is a wonderful and blessed privilege to be able to do it. And to even be ready for ministry, to get ready on a Saturday, a Saturday night, <clears throat> come to church, and then from the church to be ready to minister to the church and the world requires a miracle of God. This is an important issue. It's one on which the Apostle Paul camps so much that if we applied carnal reasoning, we might imagine him to be nagging the Corinthians a little bit about this whole issue of the gift that they are gathering, have been gathering, as the saints in Macedonia had been, so that some of the brethren would be transporting the gift from Achaia, that part of Greece, to Judea, where the church in Jerusalem would be blessed by it. But indeed, Paul was not nagging the Corinthians, and what he had to say to them was very important, and it is for us as well today. It's mandatory if we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that we're always ready for ministry. And therefore, let's make it our goal this Resurrection Day to be a church that is always ready for ministry by the grace of God. Looking together at 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5, being ready for ministry, the doctrine. 
Readiness for ministry requires gentle exhortation. Notice it's not just any kind of urging or counsel, but it should be tender and temperate, pastoral and kind. Faithful ministers know when to employ the hard medicine when necessary, but this is a case right here for placid and calm instruction. Hence, let us now consider together the reasons why readiness for ministry requires gentle (laughs) exhortation. This is because we always tend toward idle security. And by this, what we mean is that if we are not pressing ahead in our knowledge of Christ and our love for him, then by default, we are indeed seeing spiritual gravity pull us down and cause us to see the engine of our affection for God, the gospel, and the church go dormant, grind to a halt. Now, this dynamic, I think, is very much in play when we begin to do something and partially complete it in ministry, and then we set it aside for a while, and we sort of tend to lose our zeal for it. And I think this is what Paul had in mind here, is he seeks to cut that off at the past so that that won't happen to the Corinthians. In this case of the Corinthian church, I don't think he's accusing them of anything. They haven't done anything wrong. In fact, they've been on the right path. It's just that the apostle did not want them to fall asleep at the wheel regarding their attentiveness to their prior commitments. And that's something we should never take for granted either. Uh, Being a faithful Christian churchman, Lord's Day to Lord's Day is a Incredible miracle of God. You don't do it on your own. You have nothing to do with it. Now, lately, I've been teaching you the concept of going as low as we can in humility, in repentance, and seeing ourselves crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, all our sin, going as low as we can, and then from that position in Christ, taking up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and assaulting together as the army of God and as individual saints all the enemies of our souls, the sins we committed and that we confessed, the enemies of the gospel. Everything that stands opposed to Jesus, we tear down and destroy, as per 2 Corinthians 10.4 and following. And so that's what we do. That's the approach of the Christian life. You want to get serious about the sin issue, that's how you do it. You recognize you have no righteousness, no standing, nothing good in you, but in Christ you have everything, and in him you fight and win and destroy those enemies. Now, you'll still sin, you'll still continue to struggle, but you'll make progress. Be putting to death the deeds of the flesh and all that rises up against Jesus. It's a good principle because unless we are on the move, we inevitably become inert and unproductive and then dry up and show ourselves not to be elect unto glory. Readiness for ministry requires gentle exhortation. This is because we always tend toward idle security, which must be enlivened by gracious reminders. Dear saints, have you ever considered 
as you think about your Christian life from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, or even as you just read the Bible, have you ever thought about how much holy repetition there is in Christian living, especially in church life? We essentially do almost the same thing over and over and over every Sunday, and that's a good thing. That's a gracious thing. Every Sabbath, we come back to this space and hear the same gospel about the same Redeemer concerning the same great problem, sin, which must be addressed in the same way via faith and repentance in the one and only Redeemer of God's elect who bore those sins for us on his cross and has freed us from them and risen from the dead. All life is pretty much about repetition and reminders. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. How much would we like it if we had to figure out a new way to put our clothes on every day? So what we are saying here is, yes, the apostle is repeating himself. There's no denying it. But that's a good thing. It was good for the Corinthians and it's good for us. Remember, every Sunday is a commemoration of the greatest events in divine and human history. The death, yes, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sunday, the new Sabbath day in the new world of Christ Jesus and the new kingdom that he is, of which he is the king. Indeed, because we are totally, completely, utterly, and absolutely devoid of any strength, any ability, any capacity to do anything of any spiritual good. Paul reminds us of the great resource we have in 2 Timothy 2. One, quoting, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's where your strength is. Let's do the exegesis of these five verses and consider together the loving principles for being ready for ministry. Verses 1 through 5, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. The church's ministry of the gospel is the most loving enterprise in the entire universe of God's creation. There is nothing that takes place anywhere that's more loving than what we're doing right now. The proclamation and hearing of the gospel of grace, the person of Jesus. Therefore, this is built on, motivated by, and propelled through tenets of divine and human affection and kindness. Everything we do is to be done in love. Love for God first and love for neighbor next. Because of this, let's now discover and practice loving principles for being ready for ministry. First, past actions of faithfulness, verses 1 and 2. Now, it is superfluous or unnecessary, children, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, referring to the saints in Jerusalem. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, the church in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, saying that Achaia, i.e. that part of Greece where Corinth was located, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now, 
I think the Apostle Paul is very wise here. He's, he's doing something very gracious and prudent and good. He starts out by congratulating the Corinthians for what they had done, encouraging them for their diligence in the past. But even more than that, he says that their obedience has, quote, stirred up the churches in Macedonia, about which, if you were here three Sundays ago, you remember the zeal of those churches to give to this cause. They begged Paul for the opportunity, even out of their poverty, to give to this cause of helping the church in Judea. If all that was the case, then why does Paul need to even bring this up again? Why was it necessary? I think the answer is at least twofold. One, because the apostle wanted to initially encourage the Corinthians' good start before he would speak of sending these accountability resources, i.e. these brothers, from Macedonia to Corinth to collect the gift. And indeed, Paul would be with them. So he's going to speak of them, but before he did, he wanted to encourage them in what they had done. And secondly, because Paul very well knew, as we do too, that all of us sinners, even sinner saints, we're all given to the influences and the effects of the fall. Right? And so, all the time we're fighting against that force, if you will. And Paul simply didn't want to take anything for granted. There's every good church ministry that you do always first encourages the saints. So every time you do a ministry, you see one of your brothers or sisters doing something, you want to encourage them. So long as those words are true and faithful, I encourage every one of you who consistently and faithfully continue to come back to church on Sunday, because that is a huge evidence of your election and calling in Christ. Otherwise, you simply wouldn't be here. As long as we can encourage each other with honesty and integrity, it's a good thing. When you exercise your ministries as the body of Christ, always first build up your brothers and sisters in their most holy faith. They need it. We all hear plenty of discouraging words. And we all have enough sins and struggles all the time. We could never have enough genuine, real, kind, sincere edification, building up. So be sure to do that. Continue to do it. Loving principles for being ready for ministry, past actions of faithfulness, and present encouragement of diligence, verses 3 and 4. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. Now, there's putting flesh and bones to words is always a good thing. You know, in the good sense of the word, we perform best when we're in each other's presence. Now, as we grow in Christ, we are faithful 
whether any other human being sees us or not. We have our prayer time, whether anybody knows it or not. We love God. We resist certain temptations by the grace of God, not to broadcast or be seen by others. But in a certain sense, we all do better when we're together. And that's a good thing. That's part of the community of the, the church. We all perform better in that way. Paul's sending of Barnabas, Luke, some Macedonian brothers, and himself down there 100 miles or so to Corinth is analogous to how we all clean up and straighten up our houses in advance of celebrated company coming over, right? We prepare, we get ready. And that's a good thing. Paul obviously had enough credibility, enough familiarity, enough stock with these Corinthian Christians that he could get away with writing these kinds of words to them. There's in ministry and in life in the church in general, we must remember that our past commitments must have current life and vibrancy. What we have committed to, promised to do, vowed to do in the past must have current life and credibility. In fact, this is always true of all of you who by God's supernatural grace and regeneration have been grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ himself. And you are the living branches as per John 15 verses 1 to 5. Nevertheless, Paul was still prudent and wise to urge, encourage, and teach the believers in Corinth to do what the Holy Spirit empowered and compelled them to do. And frankly, that's why you are here right now listening to this sermon. The same concept. Loving principles for being ready for ministry, past actions of faithfulness, present encouragement of diligence, and you guessed it, finally, future assurance of grace. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of to you and arrange in advance for the gift you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now, children, an exaction is sort of a compulsory act or something you feel forced to do. It's almost like a tax. And Paul's saying that's not the spirit that the Corinthians or the Macedonians are giving And in fact, Paul will pick up on this sort of exaction and freedom, exultance and giving theme later in this very passage, Lord willing, starting in verse 6, which we'll look at hopefully next Sunday together. One of the many advantages of your life in Christ and in doing the church's ministry and the power and person of the blessed Holy Spirit is the fact that all of your future deliberations, as they are all formed by your past and present experiences of your God's faithfulness in Jesus assures you that your heavenly Father will keep all his promises to you in Christ by the grace of God and through his perfect nature. God is faithful to the very end. It's a great encouragement, dears, because in ourselves we're utterly, hopelessly, powerless and dead. All our hope and strength, life, comfort and goodness is in Christ and in Christ alone. 
Also, spirit-led planning, i.e., as seen in the words of verse 5, arrange in advance is also necessary for effective gospel ministry. It wouldn't make much sense for me to come into the pulpit unprepared, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, or for you to approach any of your ministries without preparing in advance. And this preparing in advance helps confirm the true nature of our hearts as we sincerely and willingly do up front what that to which we have already committed ourselves. Let's do a little bit more application this morning and consider together how the church's saints may always be ready for ministry. We're told in the Holy Scriptures to be, quote, dressed for action as per our call to worship today from Luke 12:35a. Dressed for action. So being ready for ministry has more to do with the spiritual military clothing we put on by faith, what we wear, what touches us, the spiritual body of who we are, than anything else. Ultimately, this means we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14, and we put on the love he has given his church, Colossians 3.14. So as good soldiers of Christ, then let us now better comprehend how the church's saints may always be ready for ministry. First, by reckoning ourselves to be dead to everything at variance with Christ. Now, if the church's ministry is all about life in Christ and dispelling death in sin then our very first order of business is to take up our cross and die to everything that is opposed to our triune, true, and covenantal God, the God of the church. Take up our cross and die to it. This means that we see ourselves, as per Galatians 2.20, as crucified with our Lord Jesus, and from that perspective of that cross, We directly and confidently face and stare right in the face condemnation, damnation, hell, the world, the flesh, the devil, all the opponents of our soul in Christ. We stare them down, we defeat them. From that point of repentance, where the blood of Christ fills every nook and cranny of our souls, where we repent, where we go as low as we can in Jesus and see that glorious healing balm of Christ healing us and soothing us and comforting us, blessing us, forgiving us, atoning for us. As Christ's warriors, we count ourselves already dead even before entering the fray. Good soldiers in real conflict, that's how they prevail. They don't go into it tentatively or hoping they're going to survive. They count themselves already gone. Then throw themselves into it and fight with all their might and defeat their foes by the grace of God. This, my dears, is a key to the happy and fulfilled Christian life. And that life is the person of Jesus himself. Only as we do this will we ever be able to understand or live the life of the kingdom of God. 
about which uh, our friend Ryan preached last Sunday. The very commission of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we die to sin and face the truth, Christ himself, we apply this powerful, cleansing, healing blood of that Savior to the deepest parts of our souls. We experience incredible growth and grace, victory. Struggle, hardship, trial, tribulation, distress, yeah, persecution, sure, but victory. This is the life. Next Sunday's sermon is going to flesh this out in some amazing ways, Lord willing. How the church's saints may always be ready for, victory, for ministry by reckoning ourselves to be dead to everything at variance with Christ. And alive as Jesus' ambassadors in chains, you know, even though we are eminently and truly free, we are still ambassadors in chains, as per the text cited on your outline there from Ephesians chapter 6. All of us know, and there's no sense in hiding it or pretending, we talk about freedom and it's true and genuine and real and profound in the Christian life, but all of us know that there are some things, circumstances, and even people that in God's good and perfect sovereignty hold us, have a certain level of control over us, even bind us to obligations from which we cannot, with honor, extricate ourselves. This is not true, dear saints. Do not every single one of you, and myself included, have something, we're free, but is there not some external circumstance that's holding us in a situation where ultimately we don't think we'd want to be? And that's okay. But let me tell you, if we serve a sovereign God, those chains are for our good. As Paul says, the word of God is not chained. Your ministries are not bound. You are ministers, ambassadors in chains. But in the truest and highest sense, you are freed in Christ. In the unbounded conscience of a heart, mind, and soul that knows there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus that you have peace with God through faith in Christ Jesus, that there is no damnation upon you, you are truly in the heart and soul and conscience free, despite all the other things, the little things that we have to put up with for a few days, months, years, decades. Nothing in the whole perspective of what life is about. How may we always avail ourselves of this stupendous, audacious, mind-boggling, astounding, incredible blessing of being that liberated in Christ, that unbounded, yet as those ambassadors in chains? Through our living and continuing faith in Jesus, which will continue in the lives of all the elect who are regenerate, 
faithful in the church, which many of you have shown that evidence. When we grow to more fully understand what Jesus' blood did for us and what his resurrection has procured for us, dears, we will be filled with unspeakable joy, grace, and glory. Beloved of the Lord, being ready for ministry means being prepped for action. Truly, there's no higher calling than to be ready for ministry. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that. There is no higher calling. It's a glorious, joyful calling. We thank you for the glory of Jesus calling us to be his ministers, his ambassadors, his brothers and sisters, his body, his church. Thank you that you have ushered us in the very heart of God himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Trinity, Holy Spirit. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.